All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. For those of you jonesing for some theater, there's a workaround for that, courtesy of Jake Gyllenhaal. Are you in the mood for a musical? You can watch online the Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, where Jake joined a whole bunch of talented folks to salute Mr. Sondheim. Here's Jake with Annalee Ashford singing Move On from Sunday in the Park with George, which he appeared in a few years back. Opened up my eyes, taught me how to see, notice every tree, notice every tree. Understand, the understand the light, I want to move on, I want to explore the light, I want to know how to get through, through to something new, something of my own. Now, for those of you who like plays, today is the release date of the audio version of Seawall A Life, which was originally staged at the Public Theater last year before moving to Broadway. Jake's performance is now available on Audible. It's a memory play, A Life. It takes place, and Jake plays a guy named Abe, who is experiencing the highs and lows of being in the sandwich generation, awaiting the birth of a child and contending with the death of his father. It is a sweet and serious show that makes you think about some of life's big questions. We have a few questions for Jake about the audio version of A Life, that Sondheim show, as well as his side hustle as a musical guest star in John Mulaney's Netflix special for kids and SNL, plus how he became a sourdough parent while staying at home. Jake Gyllenhaal, welcome back to all of it. <laughs> uh, sourdough parent. Hi, Allison. Thank you for having me. So last time you were on the show, <laughs> you and Nick Payne, who is a playwright, we're in the studio together to talk about the play, and it was really clear you guys have a great friendship and a really good working relationship. What is it that you like about his work? What does it offer you as an actor? Well, like with all great writing, I think there's um, a river of subtext, and um, and then guarded by this text that has a sort of simplicity. I think simplicity is the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. In in I mean I speak for myself in what I try and do. And then particularly as a writer, I'm just in awe when the words are simple, but the meaning is so profound. And I, I find that with his writing and, 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 and that gives, as an actor, that gives you an opportunity nightly um, to explore different ideas and to bring what happened during your, or during your day or, you know, throughout your life to it. And, uh, and I just, I, we are the same age, Nick and I are, I'm a bit older, which is, which is odd um, for me. I worked for a while as a kid, and so usually everyone was a lot older than me, and now I'm older than, than the writer, but um, we're close to the same age, and I, I just, I, I really just adore him. And when you, when you love the person that, you know, whose words you speak, it, it adds an extra special thing. 
So you've been with this play now in, in three different incarnations, at, at the public, which is really cozy, and then it went to Broadway for a bit, and now via audio. And, you know, when you see the show, especially at the public when I saw it, there's a lot of give and take with the audience, with you. You go through the audience. But now when you're recording an audio book, you're in a booth, and it's you and you. Uh, what was that experience like? Um, it was interesting. Yeah, the, the show, when it was live, really was about what happened every night and, and the spontaneity of that. And the thing about this show is that it, it offers you, keeps offering you opportunities to change it up and um, to, to transpose it, uh, your intention. And this was just another way. I, I, I found it, I looked at it um, almost like this exchange, you know, almost, you know, talking to somebody intimately next to them. You know, there was a moment where we thought about putting chairs on the stage, you know, a la Eva von Hove and a lot of other people, but mm -hmm. like, you know, that kind of style and to have some of the audience very close to us. And um, we ended up not being able to do it for a number of reasons, but the, that idea was with me um, when, when we did it on stage. And so the audible recording feels like that. It also feels a bit like calling your, calling a, a close friend up and, and telling them a story, um, sharing with them something you, you really need to get off your chest for, a good long time and just having a having a friend who's a really good listener is what i kept thinking about <laughs> who just never really responded just <laughs> just listened for a good long time um and, and it, that's the feeling of of this performance you know um which is definitely different than the live one but has has things the live one you know could never have and, and vice versa did you notice anything about the play that you ha or emotion in the play that you hadn't picked up on before now that you were reading it and hearing it back in headphones? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's so odd for me. You know, I think I think you could majority of people would feel the same way. It's so you, you probably don't because this is your job. But to hear yourself back is is an odd process um, and makes you very self-conscious. I tried it a number of ways without earphones and you know all that different different techniques and ultimately it was just becoming comfortable with it um and comfortable with the being uncomfortable which um i love i love putting myself in situations where i'm i'm a bit uncomfortable and and asking myself why and this was just another one of them <laughs> um and just going with it you know i think you search for perfection somewhere and that is just not a possibility ever. Uh, and um, the best thing I've learned, the one of the only real lessons I've learned is that that really gets you nowhere. And so I just, I just went with it. And obviously as I listen to it back, you know, there are things I have issues with in my, in myself, not on the writing um, and things I wanted to explore more, but that's the, that's the beauty of creating something, you know, my guest is Jake Gyllenhaal. We're talking about his audible production of Seawall, A Life. It's interesting when you think about what that play felt like when it was staged and then what it feels like now in this time when we're th where everybody's thinking about big picture issues and life and end of life and what's important in life and, and meaning of life. Does it feel, how do you feel about the play just today, today on April 30th, 2020? Mm -hmm. I feel it so prescient, you know, I feel that, you know, I also feel grateful that I spent last year exploring these ideas, you know, so when, 
comes time and it came time to be more insular, I had spent time in those ideas because Nick had given them to me to think about for a long time. Um, I think it really feels um, similar in a lot of ways to asking yourself, I think, the more important questions than maybe I speak for myself than, than I have been um, for a long time and recalibrating um, amongst so much pain and chaos and uncertainty. Um, and I think that that, I think that that could bring and should bring and ultimately does bring, if we allow it, great joy um, and appreciation and being deeply grateful for the things that we have. I certainly am. I felt that way every time I told a story every night um, mm -hmm. as a performer, which is not real stuff, you know, I brought real stuff to it. But now that I'm in the real stuff and more people actually doing incredible work are actually in the real stuff, the piece itself just, I, I, it makes me love Nick Payne even more, you know, to, to feel that he was brave enough to share these feelings, feelings that are all now popping up. When are you going to work with Nick again? <laughs> I don't know. We, yeah, we may need a little break. Um, um, I'm all for consistency, but I, I think uh, he's doing a show, I think, that's coming to Broadway, a new show, um, at some point soon. And um, I un unfortunately won't be in that. Um, but he gets a break from me, which, knowing myself, I'll tell you, is much needed, most likely. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, like... <laughs> Wait, wait, what, 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 um, of his, what of your shenanigans does he put up with? That's interesting. I mean, what does he not put up with? I, I, you know, I think, you know, what's wonderful about being a partner, but also, you know, there, with a, with a one-person show, the question of authorship and ownership always comes up, you know? And for a writer, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, for me, you know, you're alone on stage. You feel alone, but I always felt Nick there every night. And so for us, you know, and when you're delving into such personal material, stuff that for him was was real, you know, that he really did go through. I think, you know, for me, sometimes I felt like I was I was mucking around in a very personal issue. And it was very brave of him to allow me to do that. Um, and so I don't know. I think, you know, for me, I just I can be um, overly questioning, um, but not in, Surprisingly, not in that kind of annoying actor way. Um, I, I think that I, I recognize the process as being hard for everyone, and I try to. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think you can just ask my sister that question. I think probably I'm just generally, you know, perturbing, you know, to people <laughs> after a while when you get close enough to me. <laughs> Do you just ask a lot of questions? Are you always just keep going and going? Who, why, yeah, how, why? Yeah. No, no, no. I, no, I don't think so. I, don't, I actually don't. I think... Um, I think really I do, I just want things to be wonderful as an experience for the audience, you know? And I think when you commit yourself to something, I just, I don't know if it's a why I'm asking all the time. I think, um, I think it's just sort of, you know, not wanting, I think there's that feeling of not wanting everyone to leave once you're alone on stage, you know, you're like, mm -hmm. hey, guys, you know, like, we got to go now. So um, now it's yours to do. Um, I don't know, really. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm not as annoying as I think, but I, I, uh, I definitely, if I didn't think that, maybe I wouldn't be able to do what I do, you know? It's a, it's a toss-up. 
My guest is Jake Gyllenhaal. So this past Sunday, the Sondheim event, it, when was your first introduction to Stephen Sondheim? Let's back up a little bit. Wow. Um, you know, actually him, him and his music or him personally? <laughs> Let's start with the music and then we'll go to him personally. The music. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, both were pretty deeply profound. Um, I, you know, I, I sang his music in high school. I think I sang, um, I remember singing Giants in the Sky uh, from Into the Woods, you know, when I was in high school. That was sort of my introduction to him, though I had heard, we were a pretty musical theater family, and my mother would play many different shows to us. Um, and so I knew a number of his shows, but I, I didn't really know what it felt like to perform his music until that song. And then, and then, so it was pretty nice hearing Lynn performed that the other night on the show. I, I was, I, I still remember as you do with most Sondheim, all of the lyrics, even from high school, which is so interesting. And then John Cameron Mitchell's performance that I listened to over and over again, um, throughout high school. But then I, I first met him, um, in a rehearsal for, uh, our first gala performance of Sunday in the Park with George, which we only did once at city center. That was deeply intimidating um and uh and you know i he was wonderful he was just so wonderful and uh and we have since become i guess i'm safe to say though maybe that we're friends um which always makes a little butterfly in my stomach when i say it but uh sure yeah at this point yeah yeah so um those are the those are my first my steven sondheim first so you were a high school musical guy? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? What else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's how why I perturbed Nick Payne. I don't know. <laughs> um, I <laughs> No, he was a high school musical guy, too. So um, what, did you, what, what did you say? <laughs> I said, you know, I, I, I just from research know where you went to high school. It's like a super ap- academic school, but you were a, a mm-hmm. high school musical guy, too. What other musicals were you in? Oh wow! Uh, I was in Guys and Dolls. Um, I was in um, <laughs> I was in the many different musicals. We I was also in I was in the, the, uh, the we had a sort of um, competitive choir um, um, called the Madrigals, which we toured around the U.S. Uh, and I sang there. Um, that was that was amazing. And most of my music education, and particularly my like voice and understanding it just a bit came from that work um and and really um god what else like the king and i uh you know all the all the greats you know we did many of the greats uh and then i actually um in my senior year of high school was cast as tevia in fiddler on the roof and uh wasn't i i actually was auditioning professionally too at the time i worked at a very young age and i i was cast at the same time in the second semester of my senior year of high school in a movie called October Sky. And um, I never got to play Tevya because uh, wow. I went to go do that movie. So it's a longing in my heart. So um, I can now grow the beard, which I couldn't at the time. Um, <laughs> so hopefully one day that'll, that'll come back up in my life. You're young. We put it into the universe. It, it will happen. Now it's out there. Yeah. 
My guest is Jake Gyllenhaal. So now this is all becoming much more clear how you enjoyed and got involved with the John Mulaney special. So for people who haven't seen this Netflix special, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, you play a character called Mr. Music who has a sort of unplaceable accent. Uh, he can't really seem to make any music, even though he's, he's Mr. Music. Let's, let's play a clip and we'll talk about it on the other side. There is music here, music there, music, music everywhere. Use your ear, be aware, you're making music everywhere. When you tap a pen on a paperback book, not too loud, but you get the point. <laughs> Toss a dress shirt in a laundry sack. Subtle sound, let me find something else. You envision this character, Jake. What, what, what was the idea? Um, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> you're in a getup too, um, like, like you have a sort of satiny, like almost clown pants, but you're sort of a, a band leader. And oh, a jacket made out of xylophone keys. Yeah, that's what it too. is. Yes. Um, I mean, in, in truth, like I really think that it was the costume that made the character. You know, sometimes that happens. You know, you can do a lot of research and try and figure out a character, but then when you have a great, you know, you create costume designer. Sometimes they just bring the costume, and then all of a sudden, this odd voice comes out of you and. Um, you're, you know, you're living your dreams of trying to be Louis Primo. You know, it's like, uh, it's, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know what that was, but, um, it was a time in my life that, uh, uh, was a, I would say a great honor to, to be able to perform that. I mean, John Mulaney, John Mulaney came to me and, and asked me to do it. And, um, I, I think John is brilliant. I just think everything he does kind of is brilliant. And I, and I, our sensibilities really match up. Um, every, there was a, you know, sort of Harry Belafonte reference, you know, and, uh, a number of different things tossed around and one thing led to another. And, uh, we created this thing in a very short period of time, but I mean, I didn't create the music, but, um, obviously I miss music can't create any music. Um, but the, the music itself was, was not written by me, but it was a really fun experience. Um, and such a great show. And those kids are all so talented. So, um, yeah, it was wonderful. Well, when I saw it, it's funny because it reminded me of a character you played in uh, the movie Okja a little bit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. I'm watching some of the characters you've been playing, like Mr. Music and the SNL thing and Okja and Velvet Buzzsaw. It's, you're playing very particular characters, but you're someone who's you know, got leading man capabilities, but you're doing all this really fun character work. What is it that you like about it? Well, there's a, a mixture of all of that, which is that that is my true self. You know, what, unfortunately, what you're seeing there, um, which, again, again, answers the question why Nick Payne may want to <laughs> start working with somebody else. But I, you know, I think for me, you can't help but, you know, there's there, a lot of people have said to me over the years as I was doing other types of performances, they were saying, oh, you know, you're very subtle. You can be very subtle in your choices. And I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to do something because, you know, that's the morning me, you know, that's mm -hmm. me actually, unfortunately, in the morning, I, I am a morning person. So, um, so that that's the kind of thing I think that actually feels sort of honest p pieces and parts of myself that, I mean, that's what it is to be a performer in a lot of ways. I think you can perform yourself. Um, and I certainly have tried to do that in my younger years. 
And then I think as you get older and if you have the opportunity to continue to work and to, to have those opportunities, then you start to say, how about I just shed some of that stuff and stop pretending to be someone cool, you know, and just be me. And, um, and I, I think that's really where some of these characters came out. Yeah. I think Mr. Music is a, a variation of, um, Johnny Wilcox from Okja, um, a movie, uh, particularly sock from sock choice, um, and hairstyle. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you, you got to draw on technique somewhere. Um, oh, that's funny. So, yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I've got two more questions. One serious, one silly. Serious question. You have your own production company, Nine Story Productions. And am I right that you were one of the producers of Slave Play? Yes. 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 You, were, you were one of the producers of Slave Play. I, I saw the show with my uh, producing partner, Reva Marker, um, early on. I was off Broadway and thought it was extraordinary and just reached out to Jeremy O'Harris, the playwright and Greg Noble, the producer and said, what can we do to help bring this to a larger audience? And, um, and so it began and we we're, yes, we we're honored to be a part of that production and to help bring it to Broadway and, um, continue to bring it to larger audiences. So yes. And our company is working in the theater and, um, in movies and television, and that's our goal. Our goal is to bring stories like that and other ones um, in different media forms of media to larger audiences because those things need to be seen. When you say stories like that, do you mean ones that that make people's brains have to work a little bit, or just people who might not uh, have representation? I mean, you know, Slave Play is, was trying and is trying to change the definition of what Broadway is. You know, through the blackout performances, through, you know, just the conversations that it started, through its its provocation, and also through its brilliance. You know, I think Broadway, as as I can't speak more articulately than Jeremy O'Harris can to the subject and also to his play, but I think, you know, from the beginning, he always said he wanted to bring something to Broadway that changed the idea of it and the audience of it and the ticket price. You know, I think mm-hmm. those things... Um, are so important and bringing young people to the audience of, of Broadway. I think those types of things outside of even story or story structure or, or theme, I think just trying to change the mediums of things. I know that's very ambitious for, you know, an actor to say, but I, I, I grew up in a particular way where I was influenced by stories and was able to have those opportunities. My, I was able to afford things and my mother was able to afford things that, you know, we could see shows. Um, and uh, the ticket prices changed even since then. So I don't know. I, I, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of stuff altogether, not just not just provocative storytelling about race, which is what, you know, and relations and sexuality, which is really what Jeremy was doing with that show, but just also changing the landscape, which we can. Now, if anybody follows you on Instagram, they know that you did this handstand challenge. I'm up, and you kind of did a <laughs> yoga-like handstand, and you put a T-shirt on. But I'm not going to ask you about the handstand. I'm asking you about the T-shirt, because then you went and gave a shout-out to friends of this show, the folks at Russ and Daughters. Hi, Nikki, wherever you are. Um, yeah. Was that planned? Did you, was that the reason you did the handstand challenge? Did I help out local business, or did that just come to you in the moment? I love that shirt. I love Russ and Daughters. Um, mm. I, it's sort of like I thought... I, I mean, I, I don't really remember, honestly, but I will say that, you know, 
after I start, I had to attempt it a few times, and then I realized I think I was wearing that shirt, and I went, "Oh, this is a good. This is right. <laughs> I should say something about this." Um, so yeah, I mean, I I do think it's really important to support local businesses, particularly right now in in the hardest hit cities and in New York in particular. That the, the stigma that comes with the restaurant business at a time like now um, uh, is really important, and I think Russ and Daughters takes all the right precautions and is such an incredible business and it's been around for over a hundred years. So if that doesn't say something, then I don't know what does. Um, they have shown me so much love through their food and um, my family. And it is, they are always the exclamation point on any cause for celebration in my family. Um, so I, and I love Nikki and I love Josh and they're, they're so their family and they're so good to me and my family and so many families not only in the city, but also across the world, you know? And so I just, that was really important to me. And um, I'm trying to get my other friends whose businesses I I love and get their t-shirts and um, be challenged by Tom Holland to do something else um, because uh, that was fun. What's your go-to at Russ and Daughters? You know, it's changed. I've evolved. You know, there's always the Nova, which is always Mm -hmm. the go-to for me, but and a, a little bit of latke with sour cream and applesauce. But there's then now I've moved to the herring, which I would never have thought Interesting. myself to do. But I, I have moved there. What about you? That's maturity. Oh, when I want to go to another plane, <laughs> it's the chocolate babka. When I, when I want oh, to be on this course. earth, it's, it's the regular. But when I want to really be someplace else outside my body, chocolate babka. All the well, way. Well, my mom always gets me the, the pecan turtle dark Ooh. chocolate. As a, as, a, as a congratulations before I start any show. And she did before Seawall of Life. Um, and that's, that was another Russ and Daughters addition to, you know, Seawall of Life and bringing it to the world. So it all comes full circle. And finally, how is the sourdough starter? Anybody who saw you on Colbert the other night, you were, you were like gently cra- cradling <laughs> this sourdough, <laughs> lovingly gazing upon it. Uh, how's it going? It's great. My sourdough is active. My sourdough starter is deeply active. So um, I'm feeding it, you know, daily and uh, I'm keeping it happy. I have, um, after this, this, uh, this interview, I'm going to uh, try another pre-ferment and put a little less water than I did in my two loaves yesterday. Uh, they didn't turn out the way I would have liked to, but it's all about trying and failing and sometimes succeeding. And uh, so, uh, I'm going to try again today. I don't want to stand between a man and his loaves. So we'll wrap up the interview. I've been speaking with Jake Gyllenhaal about Seawall Life. It's now available on Audible. Jake, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you always, Alton. Thanks for having me. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.